Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm super excited to have as our guest today, Dave McGovern. Dave is one of our counselors here at Winning at Home. Dave, thanks so much for making time. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Dave, talk a little bit about your backstory. You and I, before we turned mics on, you were telling me about your life before being a counselor here at Winning at Home. What, what, what have you been up to vocationally? Yeah, so I've been at Winning at Home for almost two years, um, working with uh, teenagers, marriages, parents, and pastors currently. For that, my previous, I guess, life career, I spent 15 years as a family and youth pastor at different area churches in West Michigan. We're going to be diving into a little bit some of where my passion and my heart comes from. Uh, I just still love meeting with high schoolers and college-age kids and parents as they're navigating the world around them right now. And Dave, you've got two kids. Three. Three kids. Age is what? All right. I have a six-year-old. Okay. I have a 10-year-old. Okay. And I have a 12-year-old. Oh, my gosh. So you, yes. you got your hands full. A little bit. I remember, like, I was only a youth pastor for four years, but I remember when I was 21 and I knew everything there was to know about everything that yes. I, I just really believed that was such an incredible asset to parents who, like, in my view, clearly didn't understand their kids or their world. And now, 20 years later, I realized that I owe all of those parents an apology because mm. um, helping other people figure out their kids is a whole lot easier than doing life when you have kids of your own. Absolutely. There are many conversations I wish I could either erase or be a fly on the wall. <laughs> and like, what am I saying? But that's part that's part of the, the growth process, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things is, as we get older, we change, and mm. the world changes, and our kids change. And Dave, one of the topics that you've been super helpful in helping me and Kelly and our kids wrap our brains around is this whole intersection between kids and faith and technology. Talk a little bit about just in broad strokes, where, where we are and how we got here. I think we've all noticed something with technology. I'm not here to be anti-technology. I think it's magical that I can pull my iPhone out and watch a Michigan basketball game from my car. I think that's incredible. It's literally magical. Like if you told me that as a 12-year-old boy, I would be like, Jesus came back. There's a new heavens and new earth. I can have any sports streaming in my pocket. It's a game changer. Um, it is. It's not going anywhere, right? Right, But I think there's some helpful questions uh, that we need to, as we find our kids and even us as parents and adults in this digital landscape, of asking a couple questions like, do our phones save us time or do they steal it? Hmm. Does social media positively form us? And are we able to form others or impact others, uplift them through social media? Things like, where do we turn to when we're stressed? Where do we find validation? Where do we find comfort? And lastly, does our technology help us fall more in love with Jesus? And as I've read more and more, and even in my own story, <laughs> those questions are hard to answer sometimes yeah. if we're really honest. I mean, I meet with married couples, I meet with parents, I meet with high schoolers, and phones come up on a regular basis of how to navigate it, what to engage uh, what I think is actually pretty telling is high schoolers and college-age students, they've said things like this, and I'm never going to let my kids have a phone, but I'm too invested. I know it's not great for me, but I'm not going to let my kids have one. Really? Yes. And so we can get into a little bit like, where's that <laughs> kind of come from? But they're naming it, right? Yeah, yeah. Over and over each year, the last five years, the statistics are off the charts of 
adolescents and emerging adults, their struggle with mental health, specifically depression and self-harm. And now social media may not be the one and only cause of that. But 70% of North American studies point to social media having a pretty significant impact on the well-being of our kids. Help, help us connect those lines. How, how and why is that the case? Yes. And so, like, how, how do we get here? Why did I start diving into this? I, uh, is it okay if I read a quote? By all Because I think it kind of launched me into this for my own journey. Sure. Okay. So this quote comes from Sean Parker. He was the inventor of Napster. So all of you listeners that remember downloading one song on dial-up that took about 57 minutes to get one track of your mix CD. Yep. He invented that. Uh, he was also the first president of Facebook. Interesting. And so he describes himself as a conscientious avoider of social media. Hmm. Okay. And so here's his quote on how we navigate, how he's navigating and how we could potentially navigate this whole thing of social media. He says, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content. That's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation loop, exactly the kind of thing a hacker myself would come up with because you're exploiting all of the vulnerabilities in human psychology. He's just stating outright and point blank. Yes. These tools were designed. Yes. A, to deliver dopamine hit. Yep. B, to consume time. And C, to kind of burrow into your psyche to leverage this for social validation. Yes. And I think the key thing that he says there is we need as humans and in our neurology, this social validation, this yeah. reward system, like we, all sorts of things that we participate in that give us rewards or acknowledge like, oh, you're doing okay, or you're good. Right. So this social validation loop, he even goes on to say like Instagram, there's algorithms that will withhold likes so that it creates disappointment. Seriously. And then we'll get, yes. And then we'll get a flood of notifications of those likes to contrast that disappointment that no one has said you're good enough with a huge rush of no, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. Sort of a dopamine rush, if you will. So those algorithms are built in <laughs> to apps like Instagram. So so you're saying that the algorithms actually create, they manufacture valleys in order to manufacture peaks. Yes. That sounds really twisted. It's insane. <laughs> like, and, and well, once again, Phones aren't going anywhere. So I'm not here to just like bash, like, you know, create shame in our own lives for sure. how we use them or sure. what parents are. But I have found myself so many times in stress, wanting to just unplug, scrolling through mm. and having uh, what some people call this toxic comparison. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that trip that they just took. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, look, Timmy got a new boat. That must be nice. Right. Wow, look at that family photo. How do they get them to smile and look like they are loving siblings? Yeah. Now, somewhere deep inside us, Steve, all of us know, like, we know the 10 to 20 other pictures sure. of that family photo. Right. But we're not, you know, in the moment, we're just kind of scrolling. And so it can have a really 
negative impacts on just our our self-criticism. Yeah. And as a fully formed adult who's still trying to grow, I can say, whoa, 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 like I need to get off this, right? 12, 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds who are entrenched in this don't always have that. Well, they don't have that mental capacity to say, oh, like, let's think about this from multiple different angles and perspectives. They just scroll and they compare themselves. Yeah. And one of the main things I hear, and now there's lots of things that go into people's stories. One of the main things I hear from high schoolers and college students is, I'll never be enough. Hmm. I'm not good enough at this sport. I'm not good enough academically, especially for girls. I don't look like that. And they're pointing to, they think one of the rise of this negative critic, this uh, depression, self-worth, is constantly, especially for females, just the constant comparison. Hmm. And you can see on a lot of researchers will put up, it's not an exact causation, but there's tons of correlation. Since 2010, the rise of teenage cell phone users and social media users almost goes with the curve of mental health, depression, suicide ideation. So there's a direct correlation. That 70% I was talking about point yeah. towards, yes, there's a this is significant, at least in North America. Dave, I wonder if like a generation ago, well, when I was in high school anyway, pre-internet, still analog world, right? <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the images, like magazine covers where beauty was the standard, mm-hmm. there were what, 10 magazines? Sure. A hundred models that were mm-hmm. cycling through those 10 magazines. And these aren't yeah. raw stats, but like there was a finite pool. Mm-hmm. But now it's like there's a jillion influ- Anybody with a phone is an influencer. Yes. And so before, my understanding is that some young women were like, oh, I'm, I'm comparing myself to that supermodel, but fully acknowledging that she is, in fact, a supermodel. Right. But now it's I'm comparing myself to 50 million other 17-year-olds sharing their swimsuit beach photos. Sure. And all of your schoolmates. Yes, there's the globe. Like, that's – you're scrolling. But, I mean, it's reported sometimes and, – and this isn't just a female thing. It's a little bit higher in that, okay? But there's reports of – girls taking upwards of almost a thousand selfies before posting one. So you're comparing yourself to like time spent on curating the best version of themselves. I don't scroll through and remember seeing selfies of someone with a stomach flu and bags under their eyes and being like, all right, this is me <laughs> in the throes. It's, it's sparkly. It's nice. It's put together. The angles, everything is, is curated. And so all we're ever getting is the highlight reel. And even then, the highlight reel is highly right. edited. Yes. Interesting. So there's image, simply image toxic comparison. And then there's sort of the, the inner workings of just like peer relationships and what people do. I mean, cyberbullying is a thing. Like if you're a parent and navigating kids with social media, it's a real thing. And it creates anxiety in a couple ways. One, there's a term that's been around for a while, FOMO fear of missing out, this constant angst of, am I missing out on something? Yeah. Like what's happening? Yeah. yeah. And now there's a new term called FOBLO, which is fear of being left out. Hmm. And that's the intentionality of peer groups. Uh, For example, I've heard stories of this firsthand, taking group photos at a gathering, party of some sort, and specifically tagging the person that was left out and making sure they know hey, 
You're not welcome, at least not tonight. You don't belong here. That sounds really intentionally cruel. Yes, it is. Instead of when we were in school and someone said something or shoved us or there was a negative, you know, made fun of, it's happening in front of a small group. This is unfolding in front of not just your school, your entire school, your entire community. Yeah. And so it creates that social validation loop. Okay, I'm not valid. I'm not enough. What do I need to post? What, what groups do I need to be a part of? How do I handle this tension? On top of succeed in sports or something, get great grades, get into a good school, uh, the expectations are just overwhelming. Again, like when I was in high school in the 90s, if you didn't get invited to a party, you maybe found out about it on Monday. Correct. But now students are finding about it in real time. Like real people, time. People got to this house 15 minutes ago, and I'm not welcome. Sure. That's from the pictures being posted, but through Snapchat, you have shared locations of some of the Snap groups that you're a part of. So you know where everybody and is. So you know in real time, like, wow, look at everyone migrating to Marcy's house. Wow. I'm alone in my room. That stinks. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Yeah. Why am I not enough to be invited? And these are all these sort of negative stories that start formulating in, in our kids' lives. So at the risk of sounding alarmist, it sounds like based on the anecdotal evidence that you're seeing and the statistical evidence that is available to us now, like at the risk of sounding incredibly alarmist, like the jury is still out on not just is there damage, but how long term is this damage sure. and how widespread is the damage? Sure. And, and that's why I think there are researchers dedicating year in and year out kind of looking into this because it was a social experiment. Cal Newport, he wrote Deep Work and some other mm-hmm. stuff. He... He describes it as the great social experiment that went really bad, and we're still in it. We're fitting the bill for it, but we're still navigating it. It's still unfolding. This is 15 years old. Our kids didn't come out of the womb with iPhones and AirPods in. Like, it's it's new. But so many researchers and sociologists are pointing to everyone getting a smartphone and social media literally changing the landscape of how we interact with one another, how we are connected, how we experience community and belonging, all of those things. I mean, they put it up there with like the industrial revolution or the printing press. Historically, we will look back and be like, oh, that, that was a big thing. Right. And we're all navigating that. I need boundaries with my phone. Sure. And I can navigate those sometimes poorly. I'll just be honest. Sure. It's really hard. It's really hard for our our middle schoolers and high schoolers to navigate that. Well, let's pull on that thread for a second, Dave. Like if, if we as parents want to make sure that we're not modeling unhealth, sure. what are steps as we as parents can take before we start dictating terms to our kids about our own relationships with, yeah. with devices and media and I tech? think that's a great starting point is what do we model? I hear even in, when I do marriage therapy, like I just wish we could put our phones down. I wish we could have a meal without one of us being on our phones. Right, so right there, that tells me, what are, we, what are you modeling to your kids? Right. right. So one very practical step is you step into the journey with them. Um, one thing would be is having, I think is super helpful, is having a, a bedtime for your phone hmm. um, where there's a docking station. Let's say it's in the kitchen. Yeah. And as parents, you say, hey, at 730, we're putting our phones, they got to go to bed. Yeah or eight, whatever the numbers arbitrary. The fact is, is that they're out of the rooms. Yeah, yeah. 
does a few things. It creates sort of a physical boundary that we're not, we do not have to be attached to these things. Yeah. Um, it goes along with the research that blue light can affect our sleep. And we know that we, as, as well as our teens, need sleep. <laughs> yeah. It lowers the temptation to wake up in the middle of the night and see if someone, that dopamine hit. Right. Did they get back to me? Right. Why are they silent? How come no one posted this? Or the, the whole in case you missed it type thing, those, those, yeah. those headlines, yep. like what could have happened? Like what happened last night while I was asleep? Right. Because I think around people with smartphones, I think around 75% report that they sleep with their phones. Of that 75%, 90%, their phone is the first thing they check mm. when they get up. We've known for a long time how you start your day matters. Yeah. What you fill your mind with, the posture that you take, and, and what are we seeing, whether it's on Twitter or our own feeds. or And it, it just helps create sort of boundaries and new habits. That's one very practical thing of... And even as I say that, like, how long did it take me to get my phone out of my room? Even reading this stuff and prepping my kids for healthy boundaries with phones and social media, I was like, man, I need any of their alarm clock. They still make them. You can get them at Target. Our kids have called the Alexa dots. So they can set an alarm. Yep. They can listen to music. Yep. That's one way that we have tried to prep them and ourselves. Like, let's get our phones out of our yeah. spaces we sleep. But that's made a difference for you. It has. What, what, is it, what has it uh, been? Like I said, in stress, in stress, I can just scroll Yeah. in bed. I'm not sleeping. I'm not resting. I'm not praying. I'm just scrolling mindlessly with blue light. Nothing necessarily bad. Sometimes it's Michigan football recruiting. Sure. But why do I need to be doing that at midnight? Right. right. Watching a Netflix show, whatever it might be, just constantly plugged in. Yeah. And so it's, Yeah. No, I, I, I love what you're saying. And for me, it's only been within the last year that I started docking my phone, you know, set, setting up a sleep time app that's telling me like when it's time to power down physically and mentally and then charging my phone in a separate room. And that was a weird thing to do at the beginning. But even as you say, the first data points that we have when we wake up dictate our, our tone and our arc for the day. I can say with almost a thousand percent certainty, there's never been an email, a headline or a tweet that caused me to start my day with gratitude, wonder, or joy. Yeah. Or just pure connection. Right. Connection with Jesus. Like I don't do it perfectly, but that's what I long for. Dallas Willard's like kind of like a hero of mine. Yeah. And he's honest and saying, you know, I, I write about all these practices and all these things. And he's like, I don't get it right all the time. But one thing I do consistently is the moment I get up and my feet hit the ground beside my bed, I say the Lord's Prayer. Mm, so good. And it centers him. That's yeah. his story, at least to start yep. that day. Yeah. No, that that's so good because if we start our day checking checking our feed, that does it, it, it might center us, but it centers us on something that's other than the grace and the truth and the hope mm -hmm. of, of Christ. And again, I'm not saying that to be like dogmatic or judgmental, sure. but it's just an observation. I remember when Kelly and I were younger parents – and our kids would call us out on having to repeat themselves because we were looking at our phone. Mm -hmm. A very wise friend who is an elementary school principal and the wife of a psychologist, she told us that she goes, partial attention communicates partial value. Mm. And I think that as parents, if I'm not fully present, my kids know when I'm not fully present with Absolutely. them. Absolutely. And 
there have been times even within the last week where we're like, hey, you guys need to scale back on screen time. And they're like, why? You don't. Mm-hmm. And they're not wrong. Right. And so part of it, I think that a lot of times when we come to tech, the two questions that we want to ask is like how – like the two big questions I hear, how do I – make sure that my kid is old enough to own a device like mm-hmm. when are they old enough to have yeah. a device and how do I make sure that they don't see things I don't want them seeing on the internet and then that's where the conversation stops mm-hmm. and I think that you're asking some really probing questions for us as parents to be able to say like okay what is our broader relationship with it mm-hmm. is it good for our souls and if not what steps can we take because I hear you saying I wish we could I wish we could I wish we could and your answer is like we, we can like mm-hmm. these, these are all doable things. Sure. It's going to require some work and some rewiring. Mm-hmm. Um, it might make you that odd person out in your extended family group. But the, the, yeah, this, this is all doable stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I want to piggyback off that story of another kind of rude awakening for me. This is coming off the heels of the pandemic where, I don't know, screen time was off the charts, right? Sure. For all of us. We yeah, were just yeah. survival. We didn't know what we didn't know. We've never gone through a global pandemic together. We tried to maintain a family movie night. It's kind of one of our just family traditions. And coming off of the pandemic, I had seen so many Pixar and Disney movies. It was really hard for me to invest into family movie night. But one of our traditions, we always pop popcorn. And my daughter came up to me with the bowl that I thought popcorn was in it. And she said, Daddy, can I have your phone? Hmm. She wanted me to engage that movie with her. And I was just like, dang. One part of me was like super proud. I was like, yeah, tech savvy daughter. And the other part was like, dude, my eight-year-old's calling me out. Yeah. And she doesn't even have a phone. Right, right, right. Right? She sees me looking down. She sees the glow on my face looking down. Applaud you for sharing it. And I think that sometimes we as parents, especially people who are f- who fancy ourselves Christ followers or Bible believers or evangelicals, whatever stripe you want to put on there, that the greatest threats to the unity of our family, the sanctity of our family, the health of our family are external forces. But like, mm-hmm. again, at the risk of sounding like a cranky old man, like what if the phone is the Trojan horse? Like what if the thing that we must fear the most is something that's like not like twisted or dark or inherently evil? But sure. something that we're, we're, that we've mismanaged that's already found its way into our homes. Sure, and and something we're opting into. Mm. And I'm not here to say let's get rid of phones and technology as a uh, as a society. They're here; they can be beneficial. That's why you ask the question: Do you, do we utilize tech, or does tech use us? Mm. What value do we place on certain avenues that that kind of branches out? Yeah. Right. And. There's not a lot of limits for adolescents, it seems like, yeah. at least what the data is pointing to. Like yeah. on average, the high school teenager in the U.S. spends about nine hours a day in front of a screen. It's crazy. Between social media, entertainment, and video gaming. It's a part of it. They are tapped into something all the time. And if they are already busy, <laughs> sleep-deprived, and stressed – it adds just a whole nother layer of constantly being plugged in. Yeah. Um, and that's something we just need to ask tough questions about. Right, right. Dave, this conversation is clearly going to warrant more than one episode. So let's already commit to doing another one. We'll get, we'll get another interview on the calendar uh, later today. But as, as we wind down, we've got a couple more minutes. What, what are some good 
questions that parents can be asking themselves and questions that parents can be asking kids. Like how do we, before we get super prescriptive, how can we start the conversation? Yeah. And I think it does start with, with good questions and a sense of compassion and empathy for our kids and, and ourselves. Like we have, it feels like we kind of just like woke up and we're here. It's yeah. only been 15 years. Right. So if you have a child especially in middle school and high school, that's already on social media of asking good questions of, hey, how does that engaging that make you feel? Hmm. Is there anything difficult? Having good conversations of setting up uh, not just a, a cell phone contract, which people have heard of, but a social media covenant of what's okay, what's not okay to participate in when you're on your phone. How is it shaping you? Hmm. How are you shaping others? What are you noticing about your friends? Are people being left out? Are there mean things that are being said or happening? Because it's very real and they carry that. And it's really trying to empathize and just say, explain to me, help me understand what you experience, how you feel while being on it. Hmm. And you might get, I feel connected. I feel like I actually belong. It's slightly more complicated than just like, hey, let's get rid of it. Right. If we picture Snapchat as sort of, that's the social spaces that they experience belonging. Right. Much like we did at the mall or the theater. It's like sure. saying, hey, we really want you to connect with people. And us saying in high school, all right, well, I'm going to go to the movies. Like, no, we don't do movies. Okay, well, can I go to the mall? No, we don't do the mall. Well, we're going to go to the park. Uh, we don't do the park. That's their spaces. Yeah. That's where they're learning the social cues. That's where they're learning literally a new language of how to text, what to say. So many college kids that are interviewed that are digital natives that have been on this for six years will say, I can express myself, like true self and emotions, better through texting than any face-to-face conversation. And so it's, it's asking good questions of, hey, where, where is my son and daughter getting face-to-face connections? Because that's one of, and we'll do maybe like a part two, that's one of the things to pursue. And the findings is students showing healthy mental health, they have a lot more face-to-face conversations and contact, whether that's through mentors or sports teams or clubs. They're navigating it at a healthier, in a healthier way, let's say it that way. Gotcha. Do you have any closing words of just encouragement or hope for parents who might feel just kind of overwhelmed by it all? I believe in a God that makes things new. Hmm. I believe that's Jesus' story. And we may have bad tech habits. We may have zero boundaries with our phones. Uh, This isn't a place for shame, but more curiosity of inviting Jesus into this conversation and saying, what's shaping our home? What's shaping us? What's shaping our kids? And to have some compassion and empathy for ourselves and our kids and saying, maybe there's a different way. Hmm. Yeah, we might not have got all this right. (laughs) We can start by setting boundaries, by having healthy conversations about what's happening on phones, um, and modeling a healthy relationship with our phones when we're home. Okay. Dave, thanks so much for taking time and being with us today. And like I said, there's, I feel like we're just barely scratching the surface. There's a lot more to talk about. So uh, we'll have you back soon and we'll keep the conversation going. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Steve. 
Thanks so much for listening to Hope Through Hard Stuff. We'll catch you next time.